0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, Glenda Leal and Wassler will have details on Schooler's new flax processing plant, which opened up in Regina this week. Up first in today's country comment, we'll get a cattle market update from Brian Peria with CanFax. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Brian Peria with CanFax took part in a webinar yesterday, giving a cattle market update. Here's a bit of what he had to say.
1: want to start off with, uh, again, another obvious kind of situation, but it's uh, talking about the drought and dry weather. You know, we're well aware of what happened in Western Canada, but, uh, you know, the United States continues to struggle, uh, and that area spread a little bit. Some of the really uh, hard-hit drought areas in the north and on the west Uh, It's dissipated a little bit in areas that have got some rains, but also some dryness is creeping east. And, uh, you know, the big concern really is into the spring uh, for the corn crop next year, uh, in addition to grazing areas as well. Uh, But basically, despite, you know, U.S. cattle numbers are shrinking, we continue to see large, large feeder runs, large numbers of cattle on feed, you know, near record large cattle on feed numbers, just partly related to this drought uh, situation. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the cattle numbers there. But, um, obviously, uh, the dryness here, we've, we've seen a lot of U.S. corn, uh, come into Canada as well. Just, we just didn't have the feed grains here where we were exported. We had significant amount of barley already exported or booked for export, uh, last fall. and, And that left very, very little here domestically in terms of so I, you know we talked there i started out you know the challenges we've seen over the last couple of years almost of uh, covid and uh, uncertainty in the marketplace and restaurants being closed and tourism and all sorts of travel restrictions uh, hitting hitting the economy i guess you could say uh, one of the the bright spots of through all of this has been beef demand um, you know, we don't we don't have Canadian cutout values, but to, if you're looking at this chart here with just uh, the red line, you know, that's from January to December. And that red line is 2021. And we had absolutely incredible beef demand through COVID, despite um, uh, restaurants being closed or limited capacity. Uh, you know, we've we've seen huge demand. Um if, if you look at this, the green line, 2015, 2014, that's when we had some of the highest, previously the highest uh, cutout prices. Um, you know, and we've just destroyed that kind of record, uh, you know, those kind of price levels. We've, we've moved into certainly much higher prices. And we did this in the fact that uh, North America had record beef production. So we had extremely strong cutout wholesale prices. We've had record high retail prices. And we've had record high throughput. So the demand story is very positive. Now you might be sitting at home and <clears throat> saying, well, you're not seeing this in your cattle prices. And certainly that's the biggest chat One of the biggest challenges today is how do we get this supply chain? How do we get these high prices passed back to producers? And I think that'll come. I'll talk a little bit more about that, but at least we're starting from a point where we've got, you know, record or almost or extremely, extremely strong beef demand and internationally. Uh, I'll talk about our exports here shortly. So, you know, we're seeing extremely strong demand. Uh, and then the red line, and then in the second chart here, it's got the, we're comparing uh, beef prices relative to pork. Because usually there's a bit of an elastic band, but those two prices usually stay in a similar proportion of, you know, beef's two and a half, three times the price of pork. And again, despite those extremely, extremely high beef prices uh, last summer, if you look at the ratio of beef to pork, it really was within the realm and even lower than some of the past years so what that says it's not just beef demand it's overall meat demand it's red meat demand um you know we've strengthened sort of to the higher end of the range in terms of beef relative to pork but again meat demand is very strong and you know i just like to kind of keep bringing that up because often we hear of the challenges of you know, consumers want plant-based meats or animal welfare, environmental concerns, all these kinds of things that we often get uh, headlines. Uh, But ultimately, uh, producers are paying, or producers, consumers are paying up for beef and uh, red meat and, and demand remains strong. And that, you know, that's part of where things look optimistic moving forward, which I'll get to. Globally, as I said, uh, you know, international meat demand has been incredibly strong. Uh, part of that's related. You know, we've seen a flattening or almost a shrinking in global meat supplies. And, you know, African swine fever where, you know, decimated the Chinese hog herd. And China had almost, has almost half the hogs in the world. Um, you know, that, that rippled through global meat markets, not just pork markets. So we've seen incredible demand to, from China for beef. they become the world's biggest beef importer. Uh, and that supported overall global prices. And as you can see, you know, 2019, 2020, we shrunk, we bounced back in 2021. Uh, China's recovered their pork production quite fast. We've seen a little bit of expansion in beef uh, production or had, I guess. Um, But again, looking at 2022, we're seeing another pullback. Uh, You know, we haven't seen, you know, we don't, Globally for the last 50 years, I think, I'm not sure, there's maybe been once that we've seen two years in a row of shrinking global meat supplies. Uh, and that's hence supporting these very strong meat prices. Uh, again, 2022, another potential pullback, you know, the U.S. hog herd, European hog herd, seeing some shrinking beef pulling back uh, ever so slightly as well. And again, when we see these extremely strong grain prices, we generally see a stalling, uh, in In meat production, and here we're actually seeing uh, potentially a bit of a pullback in global meat production again related to these higher feed grain costs or feed costs overall, so that also supports you know positive price influences moving forward.
0: That was Brian Perrier with Canfax giving a cattle market update. a look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up good afternoon i'm Corey Canute. Over five hundred people took part in this week's two day virtual agronomy update out of Alberta. Retired soil scientist, Regis Karamanos, expects with the drought, there will be a tremendous amount of residual fertilizer in the soil.
2: Dry means that if you were to do a soil test lab, you will realize there is a tremendous variability in the nutrients, and especially when it comes to nitrogen, the nitrogen variability in the soil increases dramatically. Poor crops, of course, do not use nitrogen. And of course, there is... uh, No nitrogen movement, so expect to have stranding of the nitrogen in the top uh, inch or two of the soil.
0: He also recommended producers make sure they have a soil test done so they know what they're working with this spring. And the United States has been talking about the possibility of using canola for renewable diesel. John Drieger is Vice President of Luffield Commodity Research
3: that's something that's very much on our radar and and so you know it is one of those and and as so many of these things are you know it's it's uh uh you know legislation and policy and 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 uh, sort of a regulatory dynamic that creates an element of uh, let's just say uncertainty uh, in regards to do laws get passed, what do they look like, and that sort of thing. But but certainly it's one of the things that's on our radar is the potential for uh, for demand for canola oil to, to increase substantially out of the U.S., uh, depending a little bit on what those biofuel policies look like and, and if and when they pass.
0: That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, January 14th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler will have details on Schooler's new flax processing plants in Regina. Schooler opened a new flax processing plant this week in Regina. Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler caught up to Schooler's vice president and general manager for pulses, seeds, distilling and milling, Jeff Vipond.
4: A lot of people may not realize it, but Saskatchewan grows eighty percent of the country's flax. Now of course, school are opening their new flax processing facility near Regina this week. Talk to us a little bit about that facility and location, if you will.
5: The new flax plant it's focused on bulk bagged and milled flax. So we will we have um, we have milling capabilities as well, so we produce a a flax flour type product, a milled flax that we do at that location. And we view this as step one in our expansion and looking for opportunities to expand our product portfolio as, as our customers request it. Um, as we see an opportunity as consumer demand for flax, you know, I I could legit, I could logically, uh, view the next step as, um, as, Extra value added processing like the oil sector. We built a new flax plant at our existing pulse plant that we had uh, at Richardson just outside of Regina. So on that site existing already, um, we have a cleaning plant that focuses on peas, lentils, canary seed. So having this complementary facility on the same on the same site creates efficiencies for us from an operational perspective. And I think it's important to highlight, too, that at that location, we've continued to invest with the new flax plant and the upgrades, the additional cleaning line that we've added at that site. We've invested north of $10 million in that site over the last uh, 36 months. Um, from a employee standpoint, that site employs about 30 full-time employees.
4: And this is a high-speed flax facility.
5: This new investment, when we talk about the high-speed, it's truly about cleaning flax to to the purity levels that are required for the North American and international food and pet food uh, marketplaces. The purity requirements are are very high when it comes to flax into these marketplaces and the ability to clean at a high speed efficiently was, was truly the intent of the investment. We also focused on as much automation as we could in the facility um, from our packaging line, um, just to make sure that we could provide flax to the marketplace in a cost competitive nature.
4: So what kind of capacity are we talking about? What kind of expectations do you have for the plant and where are you drawing flax from?
5: So in terms of capacity, um, we truly this this facility will give us the opportunity to continue to grow the market share that we have um, with slacks it will allow us to source more acres close to that Regina facility obviously so I'm not about to to put a total vo- uh, volume that we plan to put through the facility but it will allow us to substantially increase um, our our product offerings to the marketplace our ability to handle significantly higher volumes of flocks uh, as a company when you look at where we're going to source flocks from Regina was selected for a reason um where you when you look at western canadian flocks where it's growing when you look at the regina as a logistical hub not only for the inbound but also for the outbound whether that's servicing the north american marketplace or the international marketplace regina was was just, was strategically uh, selected for the reasons um, that it will allow us to be competitive in, in the marketplace. So we're excited about the, the location, and it was picked for a reason.
4: Jeff Vipond is Schoolers Vice President and General Manager for Pulses, Seeds, Distilling, and Milling. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler. <laughs>
0: The G3 Grow Beyond Scholarship is returning again this year. This year's edition will include six scholarships of $4,000 each for post-secondary studies in any discipline, plus $1,000 for each of the winner's high schools. G3 presents the scholarship in partnership with Agriculture in the Classroom Canada. Education specialist Melissa Galay fills us in.
6: So really excited to be back for a third year. i um, obviously super grateful for the support of G3 to get this scholarship out there to students across Canada. Um, to apply, students are asked to submit a two to four minute video that outlines their vision um, for the future of technology and innovation in Canada's egg sector. So, sounds a little bit daunting, but we've got some really great ideas to inspire you. And obviously, um, you know, applicants from the last two years, you can check out their videos as well. And there are. Um, six scholarships valued at $4,000 each, so it's a really a really generous size scholarship um giving students great opportunities going into post secondary.
0: Talk a little bit about the first two years of the program. Overall, how did that go?
6: Yeah, so we always like to touch base with the winners in the fall. So, um in our first year, we um highlighted some of the success stories of those students going into their first year post secondary. Um and if we did it again this past fall and did that, did those highlights on social media? Um, but it's always great to hear, you know, the bright ideas that these grade 12 students have. And it's just really exciting knowing that these are, you know, the bright minds that are going to be, uh, you know, leading the industry over the next few years.
0: Talk about the the video essay part of it. What are some of the topics that have been covered uh, on those?
6: Oh, everything from biotechnology um to something as like regenerative agriculture, different grazing practices. You know, students are really coming to the table with the things that they're really passionate about and the areas of their lives that they're really excited to share. Um, and the video essay again is just a really great way to get to know the the applicants. And there's a public voting component of the scholarship. So um once the once the deadline hits and you know the students have all submitted their videos, we've got a two week public voting Period, and so you know the public's asked to go and view the videos and see who they think has the best idea.
0: And the uh, scholarship is is open across the country, excluding Quebec. Um, what's the uh, response uh, been like so far?
6: Yeah, it's been really great the last two years, and of course, heading into year three, we're hoping to get even more even more applicants. Um, it's a it's a great way to to engage those grade twelve students and get them thinking about what's next. Um and also just a really amazing opportunity for us to partner with G three to see um you know who's who's ready to take on the challenge of uh, and and see where they can, you know, make their mark on technology and innovation in ag- agriculture.
0: And the scholarships, uh they could be used for, for any um discipline, right? Not just agriculture?
6: Yeah, you bet that's something that we're super excited about with this scholarship is it's not uh, you don't need to be going into College of Ag and Bioresources to apply. So We've had students um, that have applied who have been going into business, into nursing, into education, um, you know, really cross-sector, talking about these exciting ideas.
0: And again, just take us through the um, application process.
6: Yeah, so you just have to head over to g3growbeyond.org and all of the um, application and eligibility requirements are going to be up on the website. Uh, The deadline this year is May 2nd, 2022 at 11.59. Um, And then there'll be a series of judging um, that those videos go through. And yeah, winners are going to be announced and awarded in early June.
0: That was Melissa Golay with Agriculture in the Classroom Canada talking about the G3 Grow Beyond Scholarship. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glenda Leal and bossler I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Manitoba Agriculture is offering environmental farm plan workshops over the winter. These will take place online. Visit the Manitoba Agriculture website to register. Manitoba egg days in Brandon has been postponed. New dates will be determined. Keystone Agricultural Producers has moved its annual meeting to a virtual format January 25th and 26th. And Manitoba Forage Seed is going virtual January 26th and 27th. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon. Brianna Higgin with the University of Guelph took part in a Manitoba Agriculture Stock Talk webinar yesterday. She talked about mental health and a recent survey that was conducted.
4: Finances or financial stress was described in the quantitative survey as something that impacted stress significantly and again in our interview data. So financial stress was described by participants as a major uncertainty and a concern related to farming that impacted their overall stress significantly. Um, As one uh, participant explained, with us, our stress was almost all based on financial struggles that we were in. So we knew if we could get things turned around, we would feel better, but there was nothing we could do to make that happen. Participants described financial stress in a number of different ways in our interviews with many conveying a high degree of severity. So for example, one farmer explained that you have one shot each year to make money. And another said that nowadays, farming is tantamount to taking a vow of poverty. And for many, there was a bleak outlook for farm finances and this added to their chronic stress. One farmer said, where is it gonna stop? Where's the price of land gonna stop increasing? If everything else goes up, but doesn't go up, you know? Cost of living goes up, but we don't get more for our crops or now for our eggs or anything. Well, we want those prices to go down. Well, how can the prices of food that we're producing go down and we're not getting paid anymore for it, but everything else has gone up. How are we supposed to make a living with that, you know? So these financial stresses ranged from concerns from day-to-day expenses around just losing one animal, along with costs of medication and time and vet bills, and managing the stress of large amounts of debts that are required to run a farm now, and having everything riding on the farm's financial success. So for example, one farmer said, The debt load that they have, you can't afford to even make a small mistake because there's just such a fine line between profitability and losing money. So you can imagine how that might impact someone's stress level. Livestock farmers talked about how financial stress came from the fact that raising livestock required financial flexibility because animals aren't widgets. But the reality was not so flexible uh, with inflexible uniformity of production required to keep yourself above the margins for profit. And then many participants talked about how underlying financial stress increased the stress associated with making these important decisions for animal health. This was a complicated thing for for a lot of the farmers that we talked to. So one farmer said, there's what the market demands force you into and what you know is right. And trying to do the best job that you can for the animals that you're working with, but also being realistic about what you have to do just to make it work financially. So you can understand how that might ultimately impact someone's mental health.
0: That was Brianna Hagan with the University of Guelph speaking about mental health during a Stock Talk webinar held yesterday. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. There's been talk about the United States possibly using canola for renewable diesel. John Drieger is Vice President of Leftfield Commodity Research.
3: Well, certainly it could be a huge increase in... uh in demand for canola oil specifically. For example, you know, we have a a lot of projected builds of new crush plants in in Western Canada. And I think one of the things that they keep in the back of their minds, or not just in the back of their minds, you know, certainly probably part of their business plan is the potential for a huge increase in uh, uh, renewable fuel consumption and specifically for canola oil. We think about, uh, you know, all these plants that are Anticipated to go up in the next few years, uh, you know, based on, on what legislation could look like. Boy, you know, that's uh, we won't have trouble finding a home for that, uh, for that canola oil here.
0: Drieger says there are still a lot of questions about the regulatory dynamic, creating an element of uncertainty. And retired soil scientist Regis Caramanos is cautioning producers about the impact the drought can have on the nutrient situation in the soils.
2: Soil test nitrogen will skyrocket. Now, another thing that I'm not sure how many people are aware of is that when you have a drought, there is a decrease in the soil pH. And that decrease is also followed by an increase in the electrical conductivity or the salts. They are more concentrated. And of course, you will see some of the nutrients to be higher, such as phosphorus. He says research
0: following the 1988 drought showed pH levels were at 6.8, and when things went back to normal about five years later, it was at 7.8, with phosphorus showing a difference of 12 pounds between the dry year and the wet year. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can meet us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.